All right, guys, welcome back to Within Tolerance. This is episode 30, and this week we were going to have Eric from Avant Manufacturing on, but we're rescheduling that to next week. We had some technical difficulties, but he will be on next week, so don't worry about that. We've got some good questions for him, and uh, this will actually give you guys more time to add any questions. We don't have too many from listeners, but me and Dylan have come up with a good list, so if you guys have anything, DM us, comment on that post, any of that good stuff, that would be fantastic, but... Without further ado, this is episode 30. So, Dylan, what is new with you? Um, well, uh, I think I've mentioned it the last couple with you and I, but I finally have all the hardware to put the brother on our network as an FTP device server. I'm, I'm not quite sure how to refer to it as. But anyway, I should be able to set it up this week so that straight from my computer, I can see all the files in the, in the brother control, uh, drag and drop, edit stuff all that, which will be super handy. You know, not that USB, USB already feels like such a luxury um, compared to yeah. RS-232, but having just that even less, you know, time and all of that will be even better. So that's kind of what's going on. We've got a lot of work in the shop right now. Um, the, nothing really that I can talk about or nothing, yeah. you know, nothing I can share. At least it's all, NDA stuff. We got some housings that I've got to modify, put a step in that our customer already has machined, I th- think probably in China from the looks of them and uh, anodized. And so I've got to go in there and modify like 130 of them this week, which isn't a big deal. And, you know, they're good money and all that. So we got that and a few other jobs running. And uh, yeah, it's been nice and busy, but it's. Uh, the one customer that was giving us a ton of work at the end of the year has kind of slowed down in the very beginning of this year. And they're the ones that were really pushing the, you know, four or five day turnaround on everything and super tight tolerances on every single part. And so it's been kind of like a real breath of fresh air of like, Oh, two weeks. Yeah, that's totally fine. Like, Oh, everything's plus or minus five. That's totally fine. <laughs> um, so it, it's, yeah, it, it's been a nice change of pace for sure. And it's given us some time to, you know, do things like the brother FTP project. And I've got a couple other small projects in the shop that I want to get done. I want to get some more organization done. Um, I want to get, I I have this idea that I really want to remake the base for our uh, aluminum chop saw and add like a, some kind of guide rail with a micrometer head on the end of it so that I can really dial in our cuts and not have to mark out every single piece I cut. Yeah, so, that would be sweet. Yeah, and and depending on how crazy I want to get with it, I've thought of adding, you know, a, a cheap stepper and drive and be able to just like, you know, type in exactly how long I want it and it'll just move out to that length. So we'll, we'll see how crazy I want to get with it and how much time and money I want to invest into it, but it should be fun. That'd be really cool. Yeah, it's one of those things... I mean, you get so busy and you don't have time to do these little projects, but then you take a step back when it's not busy and you realize that these little projects really make your shop more efficient and more pleasurable to be in. Yeah, precisely. So, yeah, there's a few since we are having this time to kind of step back and, you know, we're busy and we're still making money, which is great. But I do have a little more time on my plate to take care of these nagging issues that I wanted. Like, I really want to get another desk for our office and kind of set up more of an inspection desk with its own computer that, you know, has our label maker and all that stuff. 
I guess more of like a shipping desk combined with inspection desk. Um, just because right now all of my shipping supplies are just kind of strewn about the shop wherever I packaged the part last. So, um, yeah, it, it's been nice. And, and yeah, besides that, I've been printing like crazy, like we talked about last yeah. week. Um, I've just been printing a whole bunch of upgrades for the Ender printer. You know, I've got a few uh, filament guides that I posted on my stories. I just finished the chain, uh, the cable chain run for like the heated bed. And I put the glass heated bed or the glass plate on the heated bed two or three nights ago. And at first I was just like, like I went from 100% successes with the printer to 100% failures for like an entire day. Oh shoot. Because <laughs> I, I thought I leveled the bed correctly and like, I still have yet to print that's probably one thing I need to print tonight is a uh, indicator mount so I can actually level the bed a lot easier. Um, I've just been using, you know, paper as a shim stock to kind of level it against the head. Yeah. And I think I just leveled it too high. And so my first layers weren't sticking and then, you know, everything just snowballed from there, but it's been a, a ton of fun. I've never had an FDM printer with like a heated bed and that actually works and is reliable. So it, it's just fun to get back into 3d printing. Um, at the time when I sold my form one, I was happy to get rid of it because I wasn't using it. But then it didn't take more than a couple months for me to regret selling it and be like, yeah. oh, man, you know, I have a machine. I have a place to go make stuff. But like sometimes it's nice to just come up with something on like a Saturday morning and stay, you know, hanging around the house and just wait for it to print and like get chores done and stuff like that. You know, yeah, it's almost like that's not the point of having a machine, you know, shop. It's like, you know, the whole prototype and tinker at home is kind of nice change of pace and like you said you don't have to go anywhere yeah yeah exactly so that's been a a lot of fun um and I, i'm kind of sitting on some upgrades that actually one of our listeners was the the person who kind of turned me on to the board but there uh, initially i was going to do this duet wi-fi board to add 32-bit processing processing and wi-fi and all this stuff to the printer but it's I don't know, almost 200 bucks. It's like 150, 160 bucks. And then when you add all the stuff I'd have to do, it'd be close to 200 bucks just to do that, which is, you know, doubles the price of the printer. Yeah. You could just buy another one. Right. Right. And, um, but somebody I'm, I'm trying to find their DM right now, but he, uh, he sent me this board. Let me see if I can find it real quick so that anybody who has an ender can look it up. It's called the SKR Mini E3 board, and the version 1.2 is the one I'm looking at. And it's, uh, oh, it was TMC Makes is the one who sent it to me. And it adds 32-bit. It adds better drivers. It adds compatibility for a bed-leveling touch sensor. And it's like 36 bucks. Wow. So, you know, significantly different Um as far as price goes. So I'm, I'm sitting on it right now, kind of giving myself the old, you know, 48, 72 hour think through purchase thing when I don't <laughs> actually need something. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I mean, I'm just having so much fun right now that I, if I don't do it now, I definitely will do it in the near future. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, besides that, you know, we're just working hard and kind of taking the break for what it is, getting stuff done, getting the shop all cleaned up and, back on track uh we got all of our mari tool holders in except for the ones that are on back order a week or two ago 
and I just finally got them all set and pull studded and put in the machine. And now I'm looking at a few different roughing end mills that I want to put in the shrink fit holder that we bought. And I'm leaning towards trying the Illumigators because I've heard such great things about them. And that's by GWS. Okay. Yeah. And so those are the ones that, you know, they advertise ramping it, I think, up to 45 degrees into aluminum. Yeah. Um, I definitely would be careful about that, especially with a 30 taper, because, you know, at that point you're fighting the pull stud strength. Yeah. Like not that. Well, I mean, both the pull stud strength and the pull stud retention, like on the, the spindle, it's only 750 uh, foot pounds or something like that. Okay. And so with like such an aggressive helix, helix on the end mill and an aggressive helix into the material, you could definitely overcome that and screw things up pretty quick. Yeah. Who was it that on Instagram that broke a pole stud off and their brother? <laughs> that was our... Wasn't that Andrew? Uh, yes, yes, that was. Oh, <laughs> uh, I yeah. remember seeing that and I was just like, oh. It was tough to see. Um, if I remember right, his was because it dog-legged. It, like, you know, it simulates totally fine, but it simulates point-to-point infusion or m- most cam systems, if not all. And depending on how you have your c- control set up, it'll dog-leg, so it'll, it'll run whatever axis. It'll run all axes at their top rapid rate but that doesn't mean that that actually goes point to point. It'll actually do that dog leg. And so he dog legged into some material, if I remember right. Oh, geez. Yeah. So we'll see. I <laughs> I was talking to one of our uh, service techs today, telling him that I wanted to try the Illumigator. And he was like, oh, I'll get another spindle out order for you. And I was like, oh. don't say that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> he was joking, but it, it was like, it, it was funny. Um, was he <laughs> oh no he, he totally was he was like ah, no, 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 I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding he's yeah, like he'll be fine funny. he's like just you know be smart about it and i was like yeah you know i'm, I'm planning on it yeah so that's... um <laughs> that's pretty much all that's been going on in my you know neck of the woods still waiting on our fixture plate which should be here in the next week or so and besides that yeah just kind of trucking along uh what about you you've had some successes and failures recently let's uh <laughs> feel like this is deja vu from last podcast <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, well i mean you posted on your story so what happened uh kind of tell our audience in case they missed that what what all went when you went to retry your your mold so basically remade the inserts so i eliminated one of the problems was mold alignment that's not an issue anymore which is a big deal um the other issue was kind of the overall process of assembly of the mold and getting it installed into the machine properly. There's kind of a little bit of a puzzle there and I got that solved. And the last problem was, okay, the part is not sticking to the moving side of the uh, mold and the ejection system. So I recut the insert. So I was hoping that the part would stick in the left side of the mold, which it probably still will. I haven't gotten to the point of testing it because I messed up, but basically what happened was I was installing the mold and I got the ejection. Um, basically there is a hydraulic, um, cylinder on the left side of the machine, which is the moving half of the machine. So the right side of the machine, the mold is bolted to it. That doesn't move, but the left side moves, you know, left to right, open and close. 
and that's where the hydraulic cylinder is and all the injection molds i've seen you hook up to this ejection cylinder you know a lot of people just use like all thread um i actually had a friend that helped me hook up this machine when i bought it they made an adapter it's just like a hex nut that's just got half 13 threads in it because it's a german machine so it had like metric threads on the other side so there's an adapter long story short i got it hooked up and i don't know what was really i'm trying to like think back what was going through my head i was like oh i'm gonna test to see if this injection injection plate works and everything works and i don't know why i did it when i did it because i did it while the mold was not only closed, but it wasn't installed all the way in the machine. So basically, I didn't realize how powerful this little cylinder was because it freaking bent the crap out of my... Um, I don't even know what you'd call it. Um, I just made a... What would you call that? Like a bracket that holds all the molds. It like sandwiches it together. It bent that. I thought I had bent the ejection pins, which in the video that I posted, it looks like they were, but they aren't, which is nice. Um, I don't have to recut those, which is a lot of time, but it did, however, not only break the little bar on top that sandwiches the molds together, but it broke the, what's called, at least in my terms, the ejection plate guides. There's basically two steel guides that basically keep this ejection plate, which is attached to the pins. So it's parallel and it doesn't, you know, go cockeyed or go crazy and it bent those. So Actually, a fellow listener made those first ones for me, which if I can find it here. Um, so I'm having him make me another set, maybe two sets. But it was uh, TJZ, TJ Zellick on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tom. Yeah, Tom. Um, he made the first set for me and he saw that video and he was like, uh-oh. And I was like, yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I'm, I was going to redesign them, make them beefier, move some things around. But basically, it's one of those things I had to take a step back. And like, I wasn't mad. Like, sure, I was upset because I was like, oh, I was going to try this today. It was going to work. I was going to be cruising. But then it's like, you know, I thought about posting that video. I was like, catastrophic failure. Gosh, I can't talk. Catastrophic failure. But then I was like, wait a minute, back up. The only thing I broke here was these two pins and I bent this bar, and the bar could still be used bent. So, like, I'm still kind of chilling here, but, like, I still want to move forward. Um, so it's kind of like, okay, now I'm just waiting for him to help me out with those pins. Um, going to be more careful about a couple things, and <laughs> I guess just try again. I don't really know. Like, everything else is fine. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's compiling on itself all the things i've learned to the point where if i get this kind of mold base working i'm probably going to completely redesign it all so it's a little bit bigger um because i found another limiting thing is these inserts i'm making are only two and a half inches squared which isn't that big um so it's like how do you fit larger parts in that well you don't yeah they um, were smaller than i thought like when i saw your video i was like oh that's like uh, obviously mentally I know like, Oh, that's what two and a half inches look like. But like it in the grand scheme of things in relation to your machine, it just seemed a lot smaller than I thought it was. Yeah. It's very small and it'd be nice 
to up that not only for larger parts, but it just gets crammed because, I mean, I don't know if I posted a picture of the side. I think I did with the ejector pins. I mean, there's a lot of holes going on. There's tapped holes. There's reamed holes. There's guide pin holes, like all on this one tiny insert. And I'm fighting for space just to put cavities in there. Um, so it'd be nice to kind of like open it up and just be a little more universal and that I can do bigger parts too. So, right. That makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it doesn't really matter because I'm should be getting material this week for this one job shop job, which will be on my machine for like a week straight. So it's, I won't be able to do anything with it anyways. So yeah, just another push for you to get another spindle. eh? Eh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I want a mold making spindle only. Yeah. So that leads into one of the questions that I had on there, which was, what strategies do you use when you do fail and how do you keep a cool head? So like, what was your initial reaction when you hit that button or lever or whatever it was? And how did you keep yourself from like beating yourself up too bad? Well, just to go back. So the molds, I wish I had a picture. It's hard to describe, but basically I hit this ejection pin button, which basically just actuates the cylinder and in theory pushes your injection pins forward. That's all it does. You hold it down, the pins stay pushed out, let go, it retracts, right? Right. And I pushed it, and I realized the whole right side of the mold bent upward, and I'm like, oh, no. So I let go, and I was like, well, okay. Like, I don't know why, but instantly I was like, okay, we're not making parts today, okay? Get that out of your head. That's not (laughs) happening. Like, this is reality. (laughs) Um, And I don't know. It's. I feel like... I can't remember who said it. I feel like it was someone on the business and machining. One of the Johns said like break things down. And like, I don't know why that's been resonating with me, but like, for example, when I first made the mold, I literally just, I had all these issues with it. Like it didn't work first time and I wasn't expecting it to work, but I took a piece of paper and I literally wrote out every issue. I was like, okay, mold alignment. Okay. Part didn't eject. Okay. Ejection system. And then I put a box around them and then put a little like tail on it. And I was like, how can I fix this? And I made a list on each one of those things. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, after you work on this list, you take a step back and you're like, there's only like three or four things I got to change and they're easy changes. So just start knocking through them. And I think just taking a step back and really just breaking it down. Okay. What is the problem? How can I fix it in the best way? Um, and then just doing that. I mean, that sounds simple, but I feel like that's the best way to do it. And then as far as keeping a cool head, I mean, just realizing that you're going to make mistakes, especially on something like this, where I've never done any of this stuff before. Um, I just got to be easy on myself. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's like a good, a good strategy to bring up in general for a lot of the guys that listen to the podcast that are single man shops or like, you know, Brad and I, we co-own Proteum, but like we only overlap a few days a week and it's the same thing. Like a lot of the times breaking it down like that is super, super helpful because it might seem insurmountable when everything is like racing through your brain. But the second it's like a discrete list that you can be like, here are five bullet points that I have to take care of. And this will lead to my success. And then you're like, oh, I can do that. I've done way more than that. Like, what? why was I so worried? And like, yeah, yeah, it'll be work. And yeah, it'll be money or whatever. But 
I can do those five things or I can do those 10 things. So I, I think that's a, a really smart strategy. Um, if you are alone in the shop or e- even if you're not, I mean, it just getting things out of your head tends to show you that it's not as bad as you thought. Yeah. And it's hard, like you said, with one man shops, if there's no one to talk to and, you know, not only share your failures, but share, share your frustration and your anger sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean like whenever I screw up something, I will usually like message Brad or message you or like all of my machining friends and just be like, look at what an idiot I am. Like yeah. just so that I have somebody to laugh at it with it, uh, laugh with about it. Because if I'm just sitting there like banging my head against the wall about how dumb I am, it doesn't help anything. But like sometimes having a few people be like, yeah, you are dumb. Ha ha. It's like, okay. Yeah. But now I can move on, you know? And normally I found this when I was in school is, you know, we'd make fun of people like you broke an end mill or you scrapped your part or whatever. But then a lot of times it was like, you know, that one person in the group's like, well, what if you try this? And everyone's like, wait, I never thought of that. And like, that's it. Like, that's all it took. Um, And you would have never, it's one of those things where you get tunnel vision and you kind of, you don't think properly or, you know, clearly. And, you know, the solution might not be there for you, but it's, obvious for someone else yeah totally i mean that's one thing that i appreciate about most of like the instant machinist community and like our podcast is that a lot of people are very open to sharing both successes and failures and like that's how we all learn together yeah which is very cool and i i love and i forget to mention this but how much i love this community because i can post on instagram and be like like you said, like, look what I did, look how dumb I am. And no one's like using that in a negative way against me. Everyone's like, Oh, what happened? Like, how could I help? Like, tell me more so I can maybe help. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is such a great community to be a part of, especially when you go over and you, you know, you look at like the machinist Facebook group or something and you're like, Oh, oh my gosh. I would have just been mocked endlessly. And then forgotten you know yep (laughs) so it it is pretty nice yeah so i learned a lot and like i said i probably won't be able to touch that um maybe this week but i don't think i want to and i have other things going on but it'll it's i'm kind of like i said taking a step back maybe rethinking some things but um i should be up and running with that within the next week or so whenever tom gets those pins done yeah Well, and and I think that brings up a good point, too, is that, you know, this is such a fast paced industry. But like what I what I found, especially on difficult projects, is like sometimes there is no replacement for just letting a problem simmer in your brain for a few days. You know, like I'll be if I know I have a problem or even like the design work or something like that, that I don't feel super confident in or haven't quite figured out that last little bit. I'll just let it simmer in. Like, you know, it's, it's in those times where I'm barely even thinking about it or not thinking about it all that like uh, inspirational strike. And I'll be like, Oh my goodness, of course. Why didn't I see this before? I'll I'll do it this way or I'll try it this way. So it it is nice when you have that kind of time to at least even for a day, sometimes it's just, I'll, I'll get stuff that I'll quote and I'll be like, you know, I'm worried. I'm worried about this part of it right now, but I know that in a day or so, by the time I get to it, I'll have a solution. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of weird how your brain works like that. It's always working. Yeah, yeah, even when you don't think it is at all. <laughs> yeah, and th- like you said, that's when a lot of good ideas for me come to me. It's just out of the blue, and it's just kind of like weird like that. Yeah, I-, I can't tell you how many times I've been at dinner or something like that, and people are like, are you listening to me at all? And I'm like, nope, sorry. Nope. <laughs> I, just, I just realized something that I've been trying to deal with all week. Like, uh, I'm, you know, <laughs> give me 10 seconds to text it to myself or write down a note, and then I'll be back in the conversation. And they all look at you like, this guy Dylan's talking about an end mill? What's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote down here LED lights. What about them? So I have some fluorescent light fixtures in my garage in two of the bays and i i don't know why but i totally forgot that you know especially when it's cold out it takes a while for them to kind of kick on all the way um and so a couple of them not only are just really slow to get to full brightness but they're just dead and i noticed it because i was like why is it so dark in here and i looked up and i'm like oh because four of my lights are dead um and so I ordered LEDs to replace them and yeah, they're a little expensive, but I mean, I literally feel like I'm working in a hospital. Um, (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's good or not. Like I'm trying to get adjust to it. I just got two more packs that'll, I'll completely replace like the machining side of the garage. Now it'll all be LEDs, which I'm hoping will, you know, right now it's kind of 50 50. So it looks weird, but I'm hoping that once it's all LED, it'll look better. Oh, I'm sure it will. So are those the ones that you wire out the ballasts and it just goes straight from power to the tubes? You know, this one, the LEDs are like in a fake light tube almost. Right, right. Um, so I, we've got those two. Um, okay. One of the things we did maybe a year or so ago is we did all the ones in the shop because we were the same way. You know, we had two or three that were failing and we're like, well, why would we buy new old technology? You know? Exactly. But the ones we bought, we had to, like, there's a ballast inside those fluorescent lights, and we had to just bypass it completely because the the LED tubes wanted direct power. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen, they must be built in to the ends then. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so, but it's, I just got to grab my ladder and swap these other ones out, and I'll post a picture on Instagram, but it's it'll be nice. Yeah, I think you had put it in your story or something a few days ago. It looked really, really bright. Um, yeah. And light really is, it's, I, I know we've said it, and I know that everybody says it, and so cliche, but it is so important. Like, yeah. it, it just, it makes you feel better. It makes working easier. Um, yeah, it just, it, it really is so important. Yeah, so I know a lot of people, even a couple people swiped up on that store and said they were doing the same thing. So it's it's a good time to do it, um, especially here in Washington. Uh, winter time can be kind of like, as people know, kind of dreary and dark outside. So there's, even if I open up my windows, it, like the blinds, it's not really going to make a difference. So it's nice to be really bright all the time. Yeah, I feel like lighting's been kind of in the community quite a bit lately too. Like, uh yeah. Brandon was posting a whole bunch about it, Machine Shop Outlaw. Um, and, uh, you know, Grimsmo has been wiring up his new shop and putting all those lights in. So it's definitely, you know, I think that those fluorescent tube replacements are cheap enough that if you're on the fence about going to LED, just do it. Like go on Amazon, yeah. find the ones, 
you'll either have to wire out your ballast or you won't, depending on which ones you buy, but they're not that expensive. Like, I think we, we have what, four, four fixtures in the shop and one in the office. And I think we did them all for like a hundred bucks or 120 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe 150, but it was, I know it was less than 200 bucks to do the entire shop and like it, it's so much better. Yeah. Money well spent for sure. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's another cool thing. And then really tiny tooling is coming up with me. I've been talking to Harvey via email and I'm looking for a, let's see, it's a, let's see. 164th end mill with a 270 thou length of cut. Um, Wait, length of cut or relief? It's a, well, let me say that 270 thou reach. And then okay. the length of cut is only, I think, 60 thou or 70 thou. Um, but my question was, I was looking on their website and I'm like, where's their information on if this is like reliefed? Cause like, I don't need to just reach down in a cavity and clean like up the like the bottom face, like I'm doing side cutting, so I can't have it rubbing. Um, and I just noticed now that at the top, it says reduce neck diameter to avoid healing, but there's no information on by how much it's relieved, um, which is odd to me. I don't know if I'm missing something here, but I don't think I am. Um, and I talked to them and he finally told me that it's relieved like six thou or something. Um, which is more than enough because I'm going to be making really tiny chips. And I just now thinking about this, I'm basically going to have a quarter inch long nine thou end mill. <laughs> Oof. So gross, I'm really, man. yeah, for <laughs> 62 bucks a piece. Yeah. It's gross. <laughs> yeah. That's ugh. no thanks. So, yeah. I don't know where to begin with that. So, I mean, I got to buy it to make this mold, but I'm going to have to, I have to look at the mold again in fusion. Um, I'd like to try to use my standard um, eighth inch length of cut tool. Cause it just works. Um, I would hate to break one of these. What size did you say you're buying this? You want the part number? Oh, just what, what diameter? It is a 15,000. So 164th. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> With a twenty-two thou length of cut. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. That uh, yeah. eighteen times diameter sounds horrible. I, oh, I don't geez. envy you at all. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that number till now. <laughs> yeah. Um. I was actually just talking about you recently. Um. Oh, I was telling you off air that my uh, machining teacher came by the shop this weekend to kind of check out the new machine and let me humble brag a little bit. And uh, I was telling him about you and how like we work in such <laughs> vastly different worlds, like how the smallest end mill that I use is like a medium sized end mill for you. And you're like, oh, yeah, like a, a 30 second. I do that all the time. That's a like, roughing tool. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's definitely a nice perspective to have, like whenever I'm worried about, oh, man, I don't want to use that, you know, 25,000 end mill. I'm like well, Peyton does it all the time and I should be able to do it for one part. Like, yeah, come on. That's my standard tool list you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely some nice perspective to, to get on everything. But, oh, it's weird because in school, like a lot of the projects were designed around like a half inch, three eighths and a quarter inch, right? And like an eighth inch seemed like microscopic. 
but like <laughs> now like an eighth inch i'm like this thing's big like i can't get into these corners um it's it's just it's funny so for anyone listening if you need help with speeds and feeds for tiny tools let me know i'm more than happy to help <laughs> yeah um well I, i've said it a few times on here that like my standardized tooling in the machine a 16th is the lowest standard tool that i go i'm like that's <laughs> giant for you so that's it, the biggest one i use <laughs> and i'm not joking <laughs> yeah that's crazy so really I don't fun. know. I'm scared about this tool. I'm hoping if I relook at this mold that I designed, maybe I can find a workaround. Um, I don't know. It's not removing much material, but it's just the thought, right? Yeah. Oh, I actually had a thought. Um, I didn't put this on our list or anything, but I had a thought for you on how to switch between your mold work and your job shop work a little faster if you're okay. willing to invest in tool holders. Because okay. you use, what, three or four standard end mills for your molds? Uh, it's a little more than that, but yeah. Because you could have a, a standard set of tools that were set in tool holders with uh, length offsets. And like at work, we use, we have an, a CNC tool setter. Okay. So, you know, it comes in, you write macros, and it'll go and find the tool tip and, and set the length. And then it'll post it to a program. And I wrote the post that they all use G10 lines, which write to your, you know, they can write to your offsets they can write to your work offsets they can write to your parameters or whatever but specifically you could write a program that had your five or six tools or however many you want to dedicate oh, and you could have so, those offsets okay. already in a program and anytime you want to just load them back up real quick you load that program run it and it overwrites all your offsets for those tools okay i've never heard of this so i'm gonna ask you something yeah, yeah. so like let's say just for talking purposes, I have five tools and normally they're like tool 13, 14, 15, and like one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. And so let's take those out of the equation. Let's now those are just generic, like bigger tools, face mills and whatever for job shop stuff. I could, let's say in my templates for my cavity work, I could change it to like tool 80, 81, 82, like something I would never use. And then, have that change my offset so if i post a program and it says you're using tool like 99 it'll update that offset to whatever it was does that make sense yeah i mean you, you could do that um i mean in that case you could just leave them in there too yeah but like this one you could have it like let's say you want to use tool one through five for all your mold stuff if you needed to swap from a job shop to your mold real quick, you could swap out tool one through five for your standard mold one through five, and then run this code that would be, you know, G10, L, whatever, P, whatever, Z, whatever, which is oh, the, okay. And it would overwrite tool one through five with all of the correct height offsets for those five tools. I got you. Okay. So I'm going to try this again here. Um, if I had like tool one and it's like a half inch tool, blah, 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 doing that for job shop work, whatever. Okay. Now I want to run a mold and that's now a 16th inch tool. Um, I don't have to touch that tool one offset because it's going to read that in the line of code. Yeah. You could, you, I mean, yeah, you could actually put that as a uh, manual pass through on all of your, your uh, what's it called? Mold operations. That, that would be fine too. So that way, in theory, I could just, 
like take that half inch tool out. Maybe, I mean, it might be a good idea to put a tool tag on it with the offset just in case. Um, but then I could just plug in whatever tool I want and just go. Yeah, you would just need the offset for your standard mold ones to be in that code. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, I can send you some some sample code and show you how we use it at work. Is that something I could get to post out of Fusion? Yeah, I, I think you could just use a pass-through code, little okay. block. So you know where you usually do like a force tool change or a comment or something like that. There's one that's just pass-through. And so you could write all that code manually as a pass-through. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's the thing I've been thinking about. Um, I mean, that's kind of solves half the problem, though, because it's like tooling is a big issue because I didn't realize how many... When I was making all like the other components to this mold base, I didn't realize how many tools I use for molds, and it's a lot. I mean, it's probably I think it's ten, but oh jeez, I think two of them are one of them's a face mill, which I always use. One's a half inch end mill, I always use that. Um, everything else, I'm trying to think. That seems like a lot. Why does that seem like a lot? Actually, no, because then there's a two forty one drill. 730 seconds end mill. So I don't know. There, It'd be nice to somehow be able to pull those and be a little more flexible because I hate taking out my tool two, which is my 164th end mill. I just don't like touching that thing. <laughs> um, it keeps its offset. I'm not going to touch it. And that's the one that I hate taking out the most. Yeah, that makes sense. So I mean, re really, like... The G10 lines would work for you, but it sounds like you could just keep all that stuff in a different offset register too. Yeah, the other problem I was gonna get at is like work holding. That's why the pallet system is so appealing because it's like, oh, I could have a mold pallet. Oh, I need job shop work, just put the vice back on, you know? Yeah, I, I think that that would be pretty ideal for you for sure. And <laughs> it's funny because I was thinking I don't know, my brain does this, probably does, everyone does this, but I was thinking, oh, if I get a UMC 500, right? Like, ooh, I could make this tombstone and I could run like, I don't know, you could do like a six-sided tombstone and run like two mold halves on each side. So that's 12 mold halves, 12 times eight. What is that? Like 96, like hours of runtime or something crazy. Right, yeah. And I was just like, there's my weekend run. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be fantastic, right? Um, I mean, I could do the same thing on a Pearson palette. I could probably fit a decent amount of molds on there. Yeah, they're small enough. I mean, even uh, if you didn't want to invest in the Pearson one right off the bat, you could even just buy one of those orange palettes. Yeah. Well, those are like, what, 100 bucks? And you, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been you'd probably be another 100 bucks in uh, like Pitbull clamps or something like that for them. But still, I mean, even then, 200 bucks to run molds whenever you want wouldn't be a bad actually i have a i think a free hundred dollar mighty bite certificate from imts what yeah that's why you talk to the mighty bite people <laughs> yeah apparently you didn't <laughs> yeah, win you didn't. any contest or anything you just got it yeah he's just like i like you here's this coupon and i'm like wait what <laughs> <laughs> they were really slow that day but <laughs> um, I emailed them and I'm like, Hey, does this thing expire? Cause I don't want to like be forced to buy something that I might not use. Right. And he's like, Nope, never expires. Just let us know when you want to use it. I'm like, all right. What? Yeah. So I, I could use that. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, th- that right there means you just have to buy the orange palette. Now you got me looking on Orange's website. Ah. <laughs> I'm not mad because it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just an easy way for you to get going on those. I mean, I know that ideally you want to get the Pearson one anyway, but yeah, for you have, what, the 20, you have what, the 20 inch or do you have the 17 and a half inch? Oh, I have the 16. Oh, Does it yes. not work on the 16? No, it works on the 16. Yeah, okay. so $149 for the palette. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, 16 inch. Yeah. Ooh, and it looks so good too. Yeah, you have the the older six, 16 inch though, right? Not the new aluminum one? Yeah, I've got the cast iron one. Okay, then yeah. Yeah, it's... I think that for now, that's definitely the cheapest way for you to start automating stuff. Because as long as you don't move move your vice, you could just keep the same origin, you know, stashed in G54.1 P whatever, and just call that up as your mold program every time. So that uses the dovetails for clamping, right? And then the Z reference is the top surface where the jaws normally slide on that ground surface, right? Yeah, so there's pins that locate it. Yep. And then the dovetails clamp it down. Okay, and they the dovetails, do they... I'm trying to picture this thing flipped over. I'm looking at the picture and it's upside down. But like the dovetails kind of, I would assume, pull it down tight as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the same way that the jaws are pulled down. Okay. Like the dovetails are are what hold the dovetails are on your jaw carrier and that's yeah. what you bolt your jaws to. So like they function almost identically. Like there are pins that hold your jaws to the base plate and then get pulled and pushed with the dovetails and that's the same thing with the pallets. Okay, cool. Yeah. That I don't know. That would be cool. Even for these larger this kind of goes into my next question about chip management, but I've got that large job of like 110 of these big parts that I'm going to make like 500 pounds of chips. Um, and I would like to palletize this job because it seems to be a good repeat and it'd be nice to, but um, moving on from the vice. So with chips, you mentioned off air that you just took some chips to your, I'm assuming local scrap yard. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is how do I get, okay, I can get chips out of the machine, no problem, but how do I like deal with them and keep them like try to get as much coolant out of them as I can. And like, I guess just transport them and stuff. Um, we've used trash cans outside out of our conveyors or well, in the case of the brother, just, you know, shoveling it out of there. Uh, we usually don't drain our chips. Okay. Um, they usually, you know, when we were using the conveyor, we cycle it often enough that we try to trap the chips in the conveyor so that they drain back into the machine before they're, they exit into the barrel. Yeah. Same here. Um, and then that's usually enough for our local recycling place. Like they, as long as they're relatively dry and they don't look like they're sopping wet, they don't give us a dirty aluminum, uh, I wouldn't say charge. Like it's either aluminum or dirty aluminum and dirty aluminum's less money but usually unless they are like soaking wet they they don't care okay i'm curious what do you get per pound for aluminum i i'd have to go find my receipt i feel like it was nothing it was like 30 cents or something text it to me i'm just curious i'll have to find it i, I, yeah, I can't yeah. remember what it was but it was pathetic um yeah. usually 
like we don't even put it on the books because it's usually like enough for us to go out to lunch afterwards. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I can't remember what I get. I'll have to check my email what the guy said. But I mean, even for like 500 pounds, it's only going to be like 100 bucks. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. So which, usually it's just, you know, we keep it as like petty cash and like go out to lunch afterwards and not worry about cost and just like go to a nice lunch. And we're like, OK, cool. That was worth it. Like, yeah, they become so much of a nuisance that like we would pay somebody to take them away. So the fact yeah. that we're getting any money for them is is nice. And like, yeah, it'd be great to get a better exchange on it. And, you know, I'd love all that. And like if we were making thousands of pounds of chips a month, I'd be looking into a different place. But like right now, you know, we load up three or four large trash cans full into the back of a truck, drive it over, drop it off and call it a day. Okay. Yeah. I need to start doing that. Um, I'm just getting to that point, especially with this one job, it's kind of annoying to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like eventually I'm sure we'll get big enough where like at my day job, the company that takes care of recycling gave us these welded giant containers for our chips and then they come and pick them up with their forklift in their truck. Yep. That's the same way my old job was. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a, a scale thing like we're nowhere near there yet and it yeah i don't know it's just not worth it right now for us to kind of invest any time into looking into that yeah so that was one thing i wanted to ask you about yeah no i i we got relatively large size trash cans from home depot or lowe's or something like that and those work out great uh, the biggest thing we found is to make sure we get ones without holes in the bottom because yep. <laughs> we accidentally bought a whole bunch or like, I don't know, two or three with holes in the bottom and dumped a whole bunch of chips into them and came in the next day to a nice little flood on our floor. And yeah. It's like, oh, geez. So we, we learned from that. And uh, yeah, besides that, I, I don't really have, I, I don't feel like we're doing anything exceptionally well. So I have no advice really to give. Okay. Yeah. Just good to know though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So one question that I had put on the list last week and we didn't get to was what do you think the one tool or, I don't know, thing is that your shop could not live without right now? Like machining related or anything? Anything, sure. Uh, what What is the one thing that makes, besides you, what is yeah. the one thing that <laughs> makes Brick Tactical work? For machining, I would say I love my Edge Technologies tool setter, just the little manual one with the indicator. I've been using that. I mean, I use that every day. Um, that works great. And then, I'm trying to think, I've been using Google Sheets a lot lately. Okay. And I really like that. And someone had messaged me and said they listened to the podcast and they were starting to make parts and they were wondering how do I track like inventory and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, I've looked at these softwares and stuff and he's like, I don't really want to pay. And I'm just like, have you looked at Google sheets? And, you know, I know with Google sheets, you can do a lot of things with like Google script. Um, and I don't know, it's a very powerful, free little tool out there. Yeah. 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 That, that's a, a really good answer. Like I know we do a lot with, Google drive and sheets to like, make sure that I have access to any of the information I need, no matter where I'm programming. Yeah. So what about you? That's a tough one. Um, I, 
I was actually also going to say like Google Drive or something like that. But, um, <laughs> besides that, I would definitely say some sort of tool setter and like our hammer in our older machines. And your new probe. <laughs> well, yeah, I was I was trying not to humble brag about tool setting and probing on the new machine. Um, it's okay. <laughs> but no, like a, a, any kind of tool setter that you're not using gauge blocks or paper, like we do that at work still on the, or a lot of the older machinists do. And it drives me absolutely nuts because like I'll see parts come into inspection with, you know, slight mismatches or things like that. Or like they'll have to reset tools between ops because like they're g54z is set at zero always and like their tool length offsets is what brings the tool 100 percent down to the part and that just it drives me nuts like it's so inefficient and so like i think that's one big thing that really helps helps us stay ahead as far as time goes like we already have such limited time in the shop as it is that without something like that like i, I don't think that we'd be nearly as quick to turn stuff around and I guess in that same vein, like having any kind of carve smart or quick change jaws really helps too. Um, oh, that's a good one. Yep. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'd love to say the orange vice and like, and really for us, it is orange vices. Like we've got three and I absolutely love them. And there's a reason that, you know, I bought more orange stuff recently. Um, but really I think any kind of, you know, if you want to bolt carve smarts to your Kurt or if you, I know there's other quick change jaw systems out there or quick change vices um any kind of quick change work holding is really just so invaluable um being like so many of our parts go from op one in like the anderson sarah jaws to soft jaws that being able to swap them out and not deal with stupid cap screws which drives me absolutely so nuts when i have to do them at work i I'm agree like, i feel so spoiled like i i i'd start bitching about it and i'm like you know, two, three years ago, this was 100% the norm and I had no other experience and like I, I didn't know any better. But I guess it was still a pain then. you know, I, I still used like right angle bits and a cordless drill to pull them out real quick or like a, a, a ratchet and trying to go as fast as I could. Like it's always <laughs> been a pain point. So being able to loosen up those two or three uh, like set screw style things on the carb smarts and just swap them out real quick. It's just, it's so good. So good. Yeah. I cannot yeah. stress enough. If you do not have carb smarts, come to the light, buy yourself a pair. <laughs> you will thank me. You will thank yourself. Just do it. Just do it. Um, so uh, I guess the other thing that we had put on our list was we are almost at a thousand subscribers. So stickers and t-shirts are coming. We are getting quotes right now and kind of getting our, our ducks in a row. Um, but the other question we had for our audience, you, was we were talking about our podcast schedule. We don't worry. We're not talking about getting rid of the weekly podcast, but we were talking. <laughs> um, we've had a few people reach out and say that they really like either guests or Peyton and I talking. And they're like, oh, you know, when you have guests, I miss shop updates or vice versa. And so one thing that we were kind of wondering and, and debating right now, it's still early in the planning stages was um, would you guys, our audience rather have shorter weekly podcasts every single week of Peyton and I talking. And then on top of it, a second bi-weekly guest like we currently do, or would you rather us stick with the current format of like a longer 
one hour one with Peyton and I every other week and our guests every other week. Um, so it, it would be, I guess, technically the same amount of hours. You know, we'd probably do 30 to 45 minutes every week and then, a, you know, an hour guest versus like an hour to an hour and 15 Peyton and I every other week and then a, every other week guest. Yeah. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. It'd still be like a solid episode for Dylan and I, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, I think we could do. Um, but it'd just be, I know a lot, like Dylan said, a lot of people like just the guests or just us. And so this way, the people that like, I mean, that would, I think that would just solve both of those issues. Um, Cause it'd still be the same amount of guests. If we want, we could even try to, branch out and do more guests like every Friday, but I don't see our, us doing that in the foreseeable future, at least right now. But, you know, it would give us more time to talk about our shop. And that's kind of going all the way back to episode one. That's kind of the reason we wanted to do this is because I feel like Dylan and I have more relatable shops to some of the smaller guys. And I think some of these people that like listening to us, like listening to us for that exact reason. Yeah. Yeah, so go ahead and reach out to us, comment on any of our posts, or DM Peyton or I or the Within Tolerance podcast uh, Instagram, and just let us know, you know, what your preference is. Would you rather have longer episodes of Peyton and I every other week, or weekly ones with Peyton and I, but they'd be a little shorter? Um, you know, we, I think you and I talk either through text or messaging or whatever every week anyway. So like, yeah. I feel like we always got something to say, even our slow weeks, you know, I'm printing at home or I'm, you know, plotting the next way to shorten up cycle times or shorten up my, uh, commute or, you know, whatever. Yeah. There's always something that we have to have to talk about. So, um, yeah, just let us know what you guys prefer. And, uh, we're like four followers away from a thousand people. So thanks everybody for listening. It's just, it's so cool to get to do this every week and talk to all these people and talk to Peyton and just kind of go through our shop lives. And like, it seems like people actually listen, which is. And I, care. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel like we're that interesting, but I, I really appreciate everybody listening. Um, and, and, and all the feedback and stuff, like all the messages, we absolutely love all of that. So keep it coming. We'll keep it coming and uh, just let us know how you guys are feeling. Yeah, so until next time, next week, we should have um, Eric on, and uh, we'll continue on from there. So let us know. Like Dylan said, message us, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yep, see you guys.